This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Tui Kordemans and Nairi Hibbert, who are the co-founders of Co-Living, which is, uh, what would you say, an online gift store? It's, but the stuff you're selling is magnificent. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's not really an online gift store, Alan. We actually um, like to see ourselves as a company that designs and creates gifts with meaning. And we sell to about 300 stores across Australia, but we also have a tiny little shop in Mornington and we sell online. You do, um, but but it's mostly wholesale. It's mostly wholesale at the moment, yes. I, I suppose that the thing that we want to talk about with you is your backstory and where you came from because it's such a fantastic story of uh, using the starting of a business in a way to, to um, pull yourselves out of uh, what were some difficult times? Do you want to tell us about uh, what happened, how, um, where you came from? Yeah, well, I think if, if we go back to the start 15 years ago, we really see uh, the business development in three stages. You know, th- those first five years, we were really quite lost. Um, there was a lot of substance abuse, you know, crazy partying, and and we we saw the business as, as a way to, to really start connecting ourselves um, to a, a bigger purpose, and, and at the time we didn't really understand what was going on because we were so enveloped in our in our disconnection with with the world that um, those first five years really led into um, a path of self development. So amazing that we're still friends today after what what went up and down and chaotically wrong. Um, and at that ten year mark, we really started to say, well. What are we here for? Why are we doing what we're doing? How do we get out of that phase? And anybody who's struggled with addiction <laughs> knows it is not easy by any stretch to just suddenly wake up and go, you know what, I'm going to live a bit of a different life now. Um, so we clawed our ways out. And um, What were you addicted to? Oh, there was all sorts, you know, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, you know, partying, dancing. It was just a... So were you trying to run a business at that time or this was pre-business? No, we were we, we were trying to run a business at the time. So we started off at the markets um, and we often were take already on substances at the market. So it was something we could do back then. Um, but I mean, also at the same time, we were we were battling with sexuality, you know, so that was all part of that. What do you mean? Well, we, we were both coming out as being gay. And um, so that was part of that first five years of trying to accept ourselves as well. So it was a, it was a big journey the first five years. Mm. And what happened? Did you have to dry out? Um, did you... Uh, was was that kind of uh, something that you had to do, or that you felt that you had to do, or you just it, you you wanted to do that yeah, to, I, to make the business work? I think for both of us, we always knew that we were destined to be something better than we were, bigger than the circumstances that we found ourselves in, and we started you know a real hardcore path of self development. You know, we went to landmark seminars, MJB seminars, what we started meditation. reading, we started meditation, and we we really. St- stopped and just said, well, what are we doing? How do we get out of this? But what are we actually doing and why are we doing it? And from that point, the business started to work a little better and it required us to step up. You know, we decided to start wholesaling. We knew we could only get 10 customers in the first six months because that's all that we could handle money-wise. But that 10th customer was Australian Geographic with 50 stores. So we looked at each other and went, holy hell, we have to actually do this now. <laughs> we can't be writing ourselves off. We can't be doing this anymore. This is requiring us to be bigger than we are right now. So it was kind of that push-pull, push-pull, push-pull um, that started that journey of really reflecting inside and, and connecting with the fact that we realised 
what our gifts with meaning did was connect people. You know what it's like when you get a really crappy gift. You know, you think, well, do they really know me? Did they? How much effort did they put into that? Um, and conversely, when you get a great gift, you think to yourself, I, I feel loved. I feel like they know me. I feel belonging. I feel connection. And this has ripple effect. You know, so we focused our energy on connecting people through that gift wear. And I think we realised, um, I mean, looking back, we, we realised that in that first five years, what was missing was we had no purpose, we had no meaning, we had no connection. You know, so we built a business around those, those three things, really. How much of a, a change did you have to make to your own lives in order to make that work? I mean, I personally had suffered with addiction since my teenage years, so it was not knew it was just the the substances got worse as I got older um, so it's huge change absolutely huge so let's focus on the business now what mm. uh, what do we mean by gifts with meaning what are they well everything um, we create has to have a story attached to it you know so we want to make sure that whoever opens that gift feels important they feel loved because of the care and, and love we put into it so we work with different artists around Australia so at the moment one of our biggest art- artists is Kathleen Buzzacott she's an Aboriginal artist from Northern Territory and we give back to her and her community so we're, we're sort of taking it a step further as well like um, we're currently just just signed up with um, with the Smith Smith Street uh, family um, with one of the new collections we've got coming up in in July August with a very well known Australian painter, and it's all around children and education. So we we just want to make sure that we're doing more than just shifting product on the shelves, which is something we did 15 years ago. But we realised that we weren't connected to that. We weren't happy. It was just, again, no meaning. So we, we really wanted to find the meaning in our lives and in our business. So uh, are all of your suppliers artists? Uh, not, not all of them. All of our, you mean all of our artists, are all of our collections attached to an artist? Yeah, I guess so. Are all of the, are all of the things you sell Works of art. Yes, they are all works of art. Yes, right. but and, they're not and, necessarily. But they're not necessarily paintings. No, they're not necessarily. Well, we've got one collection that's illustration, but most of them are paintings. Right. Yeah. So most of it's artists, like painting artists. Right. <laughs> no, but I look on the website and there's objects. There's lots of different sorts of objects yes. as well. Which, yeah. And you're saying that they are works of art as well. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we basically take the artwork and put it on the product. Right. And what's yeah. the sort of range of prices that you have? Um, starts from four ninety five up to a hundred. No, up to three hundred and ninety nine dollars. Right. And this is on your. These are the prices on your website. Yes, right? exactly. And um, but most of your stuff is selling through stores. Wholesale, yes, that's right? correct. Yeah. So that's the majority, and we give a percentage of every single sale back to an artist or the or a community as well. So you don't. So you don't buy it off the artist or the. No, supplier. no, no. You, you, it's yeah. basically a what a. a, a consignment sale in a way. Well, we just basically buy the artwork, but we have a, an artist contract that we sign with the artist that we also will forever in a day give them back a portion of the sales. Right. So do you give them cash and the percentage? Yes. So every every quarter they get paid. Oh, I see. Yeah. As well as upfront. So right. it's a win-win for everybody. What, uh, what, uh, how do you pay them every quarter? What from? Just ongoing sales? A percentage of sales. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just in, just getting a sense of. I just want to get a sense of the business model. So, how many uh, suppliers or artists do you have? At the moment, we've got three. Oh, only three. Yeah, only three. Right. Yeah. And how much? Uh, what's your turnover? What sort of sales are you doing? Yep. So this year we're aiming for three point two million. Right. Um, 
I like to look at the the growth in sales really because it's we don't have that story where it's like zero to ten million in three months. We don't have that, but I look at it, you know, as to the milestones. And it took us ten years to turn over a million dollars in a year. Then it only took us three years to do two million. It took us two years to do three million. And this year it's only going to take one year to get to four million. So that growth really coming back to that pinpoint five years ago has started to go exponentially. And, you know, I'm trying to prepare the business for the growth so that we don't fall apart at the seams, you know, as we're growing. And and what sort of growth do you think you can achieve? How big do you think you can get? Ah, well, the sky's the limit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think I see it the way the more meaning, our, the more meaningful our business has become, the more sales we've had. Actually, so mm. then and the, and now we're looking to the future to how can we how can we have a bigger impact on society as a as as a whole, and um, that's that's what we want to focus on going forward. And, and is Australian Geographic still your biggest? Uh, store? No, 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 it's not our biggest. Um, we actually have um, probably Australian Way, which is the airports. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. I need to look at them. When I'm yeah. in the airport, I should have a look yeah. in there. So is, is it uh, – what, what proportion is through stores and how much – Online, is it like 90%? No, it's massive. We, online's only very new for us, actually. And it's really only there to, for us, you know, to service customers who can't get to a retail outlet. You know, we're really strong believers in getting people out from behind their computers and back into, you know, their local community, their local strips, and connecting with each other in store rather than, mm. you know, ordering everything. There's certainly a convenience for people that, you know, may not be able to get to a store, and that's what we've got the website for. But we're really strong believers in bricks and mortar. And, and um, are you profitable? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> I think that's one of the key drivers. I've just finished a book by um, Mike Michalowicz called Profit First, and I absolutely love it. So if there's anyone listening to this that's struggling with paying themselves well and making a profit, I'd highly recommend it because um, for us... What's the book called? Uh, it's called Profit First. Profit First. Profit right. First. It's, it's brilliant. Um, and for us, you know, I came from two businesses that in, in my mind had failed. So I took all of those learning lessons and I said, right, if, if we're going to start this business from fun, first of all, I have to get over the fact that I've had two that haven't really worked to what I thought, but we're going to be profitable from the start. So how do we do that? And how do we maintain that as we grow and get staff and get new warehouses and expand so that we don't fall apart at the seams or end up in so much debt that we're looking at each other going, well, we can't fulfil our purpose because we just can't afford to do anything except stress about getting money and sales in, you know. So we really took that from the start. And it's um, so that you've got cash flow uh, and you reckon you can maintain that. I mean, a lot of people talk about the valley of death, the difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of get to a yeah. point where you have to fund the working capital and you can't mm. really do it. Mm. You're, you're, um, are you there yet? Yeah. Well, you're through that? Look, we had we had a stint about three years ago uh, where we partnered up with ANZ and got some trade facilities going that we use very carefully. Um, that helps us, you know, buy our stock and we've got a little bit of time to manufacture, get it in, sell it before they... Um, before it's due. So we use that revolving facility uh, very stringently to make sure that we don't get ourselves into a bind. And my goal is to really run it self-funded, you know, so we save every week. We've, we've got that goal there for the future, but it goes against really rapid growth, you know, unless you've got such amazing margins and, and backing and savings, you can't really grow extremely fast and support it when product is the key thing that you're buying. Mm. So it's an ongoing challenge, um, but for the phase that we're in at the moment, it's it's working really well. Well, I think you come at it with a fantastic attitude. Mm. So yeah. 
Well, I think we to. both. I was just telling Nari before because I'm. I mean, I'm, I've got a very different brain to Nari. I always say she's got the left brain. I've got the right brain. Um, but I've read um, Victor Frankl's book. Um, you know about living meaning, living living a meaningful life three times. And I said to her, you know, we've always had an inner knowing that we were destined for better things. And even when I remember the first time, um, maybe in my late teens, early sort of twenties, before twenty one thinking, I, I, this is not a life for me. This was already a lot of alcohol abuse by then. And I just kept moving from one country to the next. Um, and, and just, but always having that inner knowing. And even when we went through our substance abuse together, we just kind of always knew that there was something better coming along, but it just took a lot longer to get there. Yeah, but I think it's very important to have that inner belief that something that there is a better outlook in there, and that's what Viktor Frankl always talks about. How he survived this, the concentration camps was just knowing that there was a future there. Well, your story is fantastic and an inspiration. So well done. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks very much, Alan. I've been talking to Tui Cordemans and Nairi Hibbert, who are the co-founders of Co Living. <laughs> 